Well, folks, as we head toward the end of this letter to the Romans, as I read this last, thank you, as I read this last chapter and a half of Romans, I kind of imagine Paul sitting in a coffee house. I I think he's probably pretty relaxed, pretty casual. He's just kind of dreaming and reminiscing. Now, if you've been with me since the beginning, you know that's not how Paul started the letter. As a matter of fact, if I was to put on clothing that would represent how Romans started, I'd be behind the pulpit and I'd have on high academic clothes. Because, boy, Paul starts off Romans, and I say starts, it's, it's for 75% of the letter. I mean, all the way through chapter 11, man, Paul is talking about some of the beefiest topics of theology in the Bible. I mean, he's dealing with the holiness and righteousness of God, the depravity of man, the salvation of God, the the love of God, the salvation for man. He's dealing with God's sovereignty and His plan for man. And boy, that carries us all the way up to chapter 11. Now, if I was to put on clothing from chapter 12 on, I'd take off the academic robes and boy, I'd be in work clothes. My arms would be dirty and there'd be grease on my hands because man, when Paul comes into chapter 12, he's there to work. We're going to take this gospel and we're going to live it. We're going to wear it. We're going to apply it so that it's touching every area of our life. And if you remember in chapter 12, we saw that the gospel literally touches everything everything. It affects my relationship with God, with the world, with myself, with believers, with unbelievers, with friends, with enemies. Folks, the gospel is to have a radical, however you interpret that word, the gospel is to have a radical impact on every relationship in every part of your life. If there's an area of your life that's untouched by the gospel, something's wrong. And, And it's not the gospel. Uh, something's wrong if it's not touching every area. But as we wrap this chapter up, I see Paul kind of kicked back and relaxed. He's just sharing some things. Like I said, kind of dreaming and, and reminiscing. Now, let me show you what that looks like. Would you turn with me this morning to Romans 15, verse 22? Romans chapter 15, verse 22. You know, folks, if we're being honest, these are verses we're not very familiar with because when we get to these verses, we start to read them. And, and I think, I, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I think I'm going to say what I think all of us would say. Nothing here for me. This is the verses that are not that important. It's just clean up. It's just wrap up. You've got to end the letter, right? And so he's going through some details. They're no big deal. There's nothing here. Boy, this is not like Romans chapter 8. Boy, would we be wrong. Because in something as simple as travel plans and a list of friends, I find some of the most profound truths in all the letter to the Romans. Now, as you can look down there in your Bible, uh, it's, it's a long section Hope you'll be patient with me and allow me to, to read it all and just kind of imagine Paul sitting in a, in a coffee house and have been with a group of friends. As a matter of fact, he, he's with Tertius. You're going to get introduced to Tertius in just a moment. Let's see what he says here, verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions and Since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, 
and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by the way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me. Some passages say agonize, agonize with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever, in whatever she may need from you, for she's been a patron, a benefactor, a good for many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who's worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They're well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampletus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apellus, who's approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Well, you read that and you kind of wonder if they were twins or something, don't you? <laughs> Greet the beloved Persis, who's worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who's been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Tertius was Paul's secretary, traveled with him. Uh, most believe that Paul had very poor eyesight, especially later in life. And, and so he couldn't see well, couldn't write. And so Tertius would take all his dictation. So that's what is referred to there. So Tertius was sitting there with him having coffee, writing all this down. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greets you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you 
According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the ministry, this that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. I have to tell you folks, reading these verses, I I am probably more overwhelmed, more impressed with Paul's life than ever before. You know, if you've been around my preaching much, listen to my preaching, you know, normally when we're talking about the, the heroes of the Bible, Paul, Moses, David, I'm usually trying to show that these guys are, well, they're just guys. They're just people. There is absolutely nothing unique. There's nothing special about them. There's nothing that separates them from us. And I think we need to hear that because I think our tendency is to do just that. We separate ourselves. I'm not them. I can't be that. I can't do that. God wouldn't use me in that way. They're some kind of superhero, some kind of super saint. And because we distance ourselves from them, we don't allow their lives to challenge us. We often don't allow God to do through us what he, what he did through them. And so I want us to see how much like these guys we are. But today, I tell you what, I, I come to the end of this and I think, you know what? Paul is just, he's just a lot better than me. And this guy is incredible. Now, you may be wondering, now, where are you seeing that? I mean, he's talking about his travel plans and his friends. Where do you see his life is so incredible? You know, you have to understand this simple phrase, I want to go to Spain. You have to know where where Paul is in life. Paul is uh, heading into his 60s. He's getting older. And he's done a lot for the Lord. As a matter of fact, he's done as much for the Lord as, as, as anybody has. At this point, Paul has been on three circuits around the Roman Empire. You may have heard them referred to as the three missionary journeys. He's traveled around. Now, you know, today when we think, boy, if I told you I'd, I'd been around Europe and Rome three different times. Oh, I've been to China. I've been to, you think, well, what a world traveler. You'd wonder about the good food I'd enjoyed, maybe nice hotels I'd stayed in. Man, what were the sights? What did you see? And certainly, man, that's, that's what we have with Paul, right? He's a world traveler. Oh, yeah, he had had some travel difficulties. I'm sure he lost luggage somewhere. Missed a flight, had one canceled. Well, you know what? As a matter of fact, now I think about it, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about some of Paul's uh, travel difficulties. Listen to this. This is a lot like losing your luggage. Five times I received from the hands of the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. The book of Acts tells us when they stoned him, they thought they were successful. They thought they had killed him. So you have to imagine him laying there on the ground with the look, with the blood that would give the appearance. Clearly, he's dead. We've done what we came here to do. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was drift at sea. 24 hours he was bobbing around in the ocean waiting to be rescued. We'd make a movie out of that, wouldn't we? 24 hours out in the ocean, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That might be a little worse than losing your luggage, huh? You know, if there was anybody 
I mean really anybody in all of the scripture, anybody in all of ministry that I'm aware of that would have a right to say, I'm done, I'm retiring, I've done my part. Would anybody disagree with that? Would you say, no, you know, Paul, I don't, I don't know that you have. You haven't done what I've done, Paul. No, man, we would encourage Paul. Man, Paul, it's, it's time. It is. Man, just get out on an island somewhere and, 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 and just write. Man, it's, it's time to quit. It's time to take a break. Not Paul. Absolutely not. Here he is in the, the age of 60 plus some of you in here, you know what starts to happen as we hit 40, as we hit 50, as we hit 60. It just takes a little longer to get everything going in the same direction every day, doesn't it? There, there's, just, there's just more aches and pains. I wonder, and I'm talking about the normal aches and pains of growing older. I wonder what kind of aches and pains he was dealing with. I wonder what his back looked like. I mean, seriously, if you've been whipped, what's five times? 195 times you've had a lash on your back. What, is it, what does his back look like? Were there infections that never cleaned up, that never healed right? If he was beaten with rods three different times, stone, I wonder if there was ever a bone that was broken that did never set right again. I, I can't imagine that Paul is dealing with anything less than just absolute pain every single day of his life. He should be done. He should be retiring, but not Paul. He says, I'm going to tell you what, I dream more than anything else about getting to Spain. Folks, when he's talking about wanting to go to Spain, he's talking about everything west of the Roman Empire. He is talking about a landmass that is bigger than all three of his missionary journeys combined. He is talking in this pain at his age about going further and doing more than he has in his entire Christian life up to that point. That overwhelms me. I wonder, do I have that kind of passion for Christ? Do I have that kind of... I mean, when Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die, it just gets better. wonder, when I say that, when I quote that, do I mean the same thing he meant? All he's thinking about right now is, can I go to Spain? And he's looking for partners, looking for friends, because in a profound chapter of the Bible, folks, we learn that ministry is done through friendships. Ministry is done by friends. And as Paul makes that statement and he moves into chapter 16, he begins to, to talk about his friends and to, and to list his friends there. And, you know, and this is one of the chapters of the Bible. And I, I've preached on Romans 16 before. I've made this comment before. This would be a chapter you think, why is this in the Bible? What, what difference does this make? Who needs to know this? We don't know these names. We have very little ability to find any historical background to these names. I mean, these names mean nothing to us. And all of a sudden it dawned on me one day that while these names mean nothing to me, these names mean everything in the world to God. Folks, do you realize how important it is for you and me to see those names? Because isn't it easy for us as humans to get our eyes focused on a leader? To get our eyes focused on the person out front? He's the one who's doing it. He's the one who's carrying it. We support, we applaud, we pay little roles. But 
You know, it's nothing like that guy up there. And gosh, is there anybody more up there than Paul? He's planted more churches than any other person in the first century. He has discipled more pastors. He has written more scriptures. I mean, Paul's the man. And that would be our tendency to say, I mean, it's Paul. And there's nobody else. And God comes along in this list. Because remember, folks, Romans 16 at the end of the day wasn't actually written by Paul. It was written by God. Paul comes along in this list and he says, you know, there is Paul. Paul was very faithful. He was very yielded to me. But Paul was never by himself. He was surrounded by a host of people and I saw every single one of them. Man, what encouragement, not, to, not just to a leader or a person out front, what encouragement to the entire church. I see you. Isn't that what God is saying in Romans 16? I see you. I see you out there in the parking lot. I see you working with those kids in Awana. I see you making that visit. I see you here every Tuesday night. I see you building the stage for the pageant. I see you making that visit. I see you preparing that lesson. I see you here setting up when nobody else is here. I see you. Man, look at the words Paul uses to describe these people. A benefactor, somebody who does good. They just do good to people, for people, providing for people. A servant of the church, somebody who worked very hard, a dear friend. I mean, I may not be an apostle, I may not be able to write scripture, but I can be a dear friend. Man, I can work very hard in the Lord. I can work very hard in the church. Folks, everybody, not just Paul, not just Moses, not just the guy up front, everybody can make God's list. You know, as I look at the, the ending of this great letter to this great church, I think, man, you know, Paul, if, if you could come here today and speak to Colonial Heights Baptist, and, and, and you were using the material of, of this last chapter and a half, what, what would you share with us? And I think Paul said, hey, you know what? Let's go get coffee and let's talk about that. Let, let's talk. I mean, I know what I was thinking when I wrote the church in Rome. Let's, let's talk about what I would thinking, be thinking if I was writing the church in Colonial Heights and Chesterfield and Prince George and Dinwiddie and Hopewell. And I think God would say, or Paul would say five things to us. I, th I think, first of all, I, I think he would say, no matter what you've accomplished, dream bigger. I think that's a critical, critical word for our church. I mean, let's be honest, folks. When we walk in this place, man, it's such a big building, isn't it? And it's new and it's big and there's people everywhere and there's all these programs and there's all these things going on. And it's real easy when you walk in here, it just kind of presents itself as a finished product, doesn't it? It's just a, it's a finished product. It's an accomplished product. I mean, we're done. We've done it. I mean, yeah, we got to maintain till Jesus gets back. I think Paul would say, no, no, don't ever have that feeling. And, and he can say that, can he? When, he's, when he has led the Roman Empire to the Lord and now he's thinking about more and he's living every day in pain, he can say, no, no, don't stop giving, don't stop witnessing, don't stop going, don't stop ministering, don't stop dreaming about how far can you carry this? What more can we still be doing? 
Folks, man, let's never arrive as a church. And I look around America, and I'm sure it's true around the world. Probably nine out of ten churches, their greatest accomplishments and their greatest dreams are behind them. Why does that happen in the church? That's not the DNA of the New Testament. Here Paul is ready to retire. More accomplishments than anybody behind him. And he is dreaming bigger about going further than ever before. Folks, we never better be looking back thinking that was it. We need to be looking forward. You know when we're done? We're done when you're looking square in the eyes of Jesus Christ. And he says, well done. Now come on home. Until then, until you were dead, you go as hard as you can. You give as much as you can. You're looking for more opportunity. And you're thinking bigger than ever before. I think that's what Paul would say, wouldn't he? I think a, a second thing that Paul says here is, boy, agonize together in prayer. Agonize. I don't like that word. It's just so much easier to say, hey, God, would you bless all this, make it work, and make it good. Amen. Oh, and make me really happy while we're doing it. I, I don't know. 15-second prayer and agony, that doesn't really go hand in hand, does it? Agonize. That, you know, it's interesting. I think we, don't we... When we think about learning about prayer, how do, we, how do we pray so it's easy? How do we pray so we can keep focused? How do we pray so our mind doesn't wander? How do, how do we pray so that it's, it's just natural? Folks, you know what? The Scripture never says prayer is easy or natural. And actually, I look at that word agonize. I think prayer is hard. I think the New Testament idea is that when you get up from prayer, you're sweating. When you get up in prayer, you, you need some water. You, you need to rest. Prayer isn't rest. Prayer's work. Paul says agonize together. Man, agonize over the prayer request you're going to hear in life group the next hour. Agonize in prayer over the things going on in church. Agonize together in that. Agonize over the events. You know, we've got a friend day coming up November 4th. First Sunday in November. We're going to, we're going to issue the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to call people not only to come forward, but to go on straight on back. We've done that once before, twice before. Go right on back and be baptized that day. Isn't that a day we should be agonizing in prayer for? Man, what kind of impact should that have on people's lives, on families, on our community? Agonizing in prayer over God. What is my role? You think that's the pastor's role? What's my role? What's our role in what that day can mean and what it can happen? Agonizing in prayer over opportunity and, and, and ability and encourage and boldness to invite everybody I know. Don't we come to days like this and we think, who's the person I can invite? And I'm going to start praying about that one person. I think Paul would say, one person? Are you kidding me? You ought to have 50 in tow. You ought to be inviting everybody who will listen to you from strangers to enemies to your best friends. If they'll listen, you invite if they're open, you'll bring. We agonize. It's the agony of prayer that is going to produce what can happen in that day. I think the third thing Paul would say, man, build your relationships around serving the Lord. When you think of relationships, what comes to your mind? Do you think in concentric circles? Your home, your friends, not so much friends, even less and less friends, Never want to consider as friends. Or, or maybe when you think of 
friends, you think of stages of life, you know, childhood. I think of Randy. I had a best friend growing, growing up called Randy. We went out with two girls named Shannon and Shannon. It was kind of cool. Um, I was in like eighth grade, honey. It's way over. Uh, I think, you know, Randy and Bobby. I, I come to high school and, and, I, and I ran and I think of guys like Paul and David and John and Philip and Scott. Or maybe I jump ahead to seminary and I think of Mark and Garth and Carl and Leo and Jim. And you know, when you think of names, like right now, I'm calling out names. You're, who are your friends? Who are your childhood? Your high school, your college, your work. When you start thinking of names, what comes with those names? Stories, right? Yeah, memories, stories, things you did together. It was, you know, we went on vacation. We, we did this. We did that. We used to get together for, for coffee, lunch every week. Stories come with that. I think that's where Paul would say, when names come flooding into your mind and the stories come with them, it, does, does ministry come with that? You know, when I, when I think of, of friends, I think of the most scared I've ever been in life. I was with Don and Perry. We were on a train going from Poland into Russia. We had, had Bibles and, and gospel tracts, and, and we got arrested. We got taken off that train by a group of soldiers, and I was scared. I remember I've told you that before. You know, I was so scared, I didn't pray. I was literally paralyzed. I thought, oh my gosh. I'm going to be killed. <laughs> and, and I wasn't thinking, this is cool. Uh, you know, I, 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 when I think of the most scared I've ever been, I think of Don and Perry. When I think about the hardest I've ever laughed in ministry, and this is kind of sad because it was not a good visit, I, I was with Keith. Keith's one of the smartest believers I know. I mean, just smart guy, well-trained. He, he, he worked for a, a mill in uh, South Carolina, Lee Fibers, and, and just a brilliant guy with scriptures and stu- studies. We were in uh, Utah, and, and we, were, we were working, we were ministering with Mormons, and uh, we were going to this person's house. It's actually, we had some kind of connection. I don't remember what it was, but we knew the people in there, and we, were, we, we had an appointment to go to their house. And uh, Keith, we were walking to the door and said, man, how do you want to handle this? And I said, Keith, honestly, I think you're better at this than I am. I mean, you're, you're pretty good at this. You've studied this Mormonism thing. I'm, just, I'm going to follow your lead. And he says, yeah, I got it. And so we go in there and he begins to proceed through this argument. And this lady just slices and dices him. I mean, blood all over the floor. I mean, just ridiculed every argument he had. It was awful. It was, I mean, I literally started laughing. This is, this lady's putting on a clinic. (laughs) We got to the car. We got back to, we went out to dinner and told friends. I got to laughing so hard I couldn't eat. (laughs) You know, I think of, uh, I think of 20 people. Uh, we, this church called the project team. And, and I remember, I called their names, but I won't right now. I, I remember those 20 people and I, we got on a bus four years or, or in April of 2004. We got on a bus and we took a tour through Virginia and South Carolina and North Carolina, looking at large churches, looking at big campuses, just trying to get a feel, an idea, a, a picture uh, of what we were trying to do, what we were setting out to accomplish and, and just remembering that and coming back and, and getting started four years that felt like 40 years, looking back on it, looking back at what churches go through and moving and building, actually four years was rocket fast. It was lightning as we moved through that. But, but I think of those four years and then I think of almost four years to the date, it, April of 2008, walking in this building and thinking what that partnership produced. You know, when I, when I think of Paul's list, like right here, I, 
You know, I think of, of seven friends that I met September 14th, 2002. Roger and Jerry and Doug, Charlie, Wes, Shannon and Iris. We were at Wilson World Hotel in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And a friendship started right there. A friendship that would ultimately result in them having enough confidence to come before this family and say, I think we ought to make this guy our pastor. Clearly, you know, you overlook some things with your friends, don't you? <laughs> As a matter of fact, we're going out to lunch with those seven folks today just to kind of reminisce and remember. And I think about that friendship, that partnership that started then. And man, look what's unfolded and, and, and look what's happened. That's what's going on here, folks. Let me tell you something. God's not bothered. God's not offended. If when you think of friends, you think of tailgate parties or hunting or a shopping spree or going to lunch together. Hey, the guy's got no problem with that. But as those names start flowing through us, I think Paul says, are there any stories of the kingdom of God? Are there any stories of, of how your friendship grew in serving the Lord? Let that be what's happening in your friendships. And because friendships are so vital to the ministry, it really is not a solo journey. It really is. It's not just, it's not like work. We just have to come together and do this. No, it's friends. And because that's so critical, clearly the fourth thing Paul says here is, man, watch out for those who would divide. Watch out for those who would embitter one against another or one group against that group. Watch out for those who, who stir the pot. In chapter 16, the division comes over false theology and false doctrine. In chapter 14 and 15, it was division because of preference. This is my way of being holy. This is my way of obeying God and judging others through that. In chapter 12, it was divisiveness over enemies and those who would hurt and, and, and those who've done evil in my life. It doesn't matter why we get divisive. It doesn't matter why we get embittered. Paul says, avoid those people. Walk away from them. Get away from that. That is so destructive to what the kingdom of God is about. We said it last week, when we're not getting along in here, ultimately we're not going to do the work out there. Last thing Paul says, I think, is, man, let, let the story of Colonial Heights Baptist be a story of obedience. You know, verse 19 intrigues me just because I've never heard a church described that way. I mean, think about how you hear churches described. Think about how you describe a church. I mean, what we're going to talk about, I mean, I've, I've been out there too. When we talk about churches, we talk about the pastor. Talk about the music, maybe the building. Maybe a church is known for a, 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 a lot of churches known for an activity or a work, a ministry they have out in the community. Sometimes churches are known for kind of a character that they have. Oh, that's a friendly church. You ever heard church described of as mean? I have. Boy, that's a monumental failure, isn't it? A mean church, really? Of course, we got other labels. You know, there's liberal churches and conservative churches and legalistic churches. But how many times, for me, it's zero. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, now those people, man, they obey God. Now, when I say I've never heard that, I'm not saying I don't think there's no obedient churches. I think we're an obedient church. I'm just wondering, what was it about the church in Rome that when people around the Roman Empire talked about that church, they said, those people, I'll tell you something, they obey God. And that that might be what we're, what we're known for. 
You know, I'm trying to imagine Paul and Urbanus and Stachus, <laughs> Apellus, sitting around a coffee table, what they're talking about. I, I honestly, I think they would have talked about replacement refs. <laughs> that they're going to cover gas prices. Look how much they're traveling. I think they're going to lie about their golf score. They're not perfect. They lie. But somewhere in the midst of that coffee and conversation, they made a choice to let their conversation and their relationship rise above the ordinary and the temporary. Somewhere in there, somebody leaned over and said, you think we can go all the way? You, you think we could get to Spain? Man, I don't know, Paul. Maybe you should let us carry it from here. Man, look at you. You're hurting, man. No, no, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going as far as I can. It, folks, did it ever dawn on you that quite possibly one of the reasons 2,000 years later on another continent that you and I are sitting here talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ is because those guys had coffee. And they said, what if we took it all the way to the end of the earth? No matter what was going on, no matter what they had done, they kept dreaming bigger, no matter the cost. Oh, that our relationships might be that. Friendships that change the world. Let's pray. Father, I pray that that's what you're building at Colonial Heights Baptist. Lord, I pray that a phrase like change the world isn't just cliches that we throw out with no real intention of it ever coming to pass, at least not through us. God, I would pray that the friendships of Colonial Heights Baptist would change the world. I pray the friendships of this church, God, they have fun at games and shopping and vacations and lunches and coffees. But God, I pray there are friendships that are being built through the witnessing of the gospel of Christ. Friendships being built because we went to Nicaragua together or, or, or Peru together or China together. Friendships being built because we got him up here and we practiced night after night getting ready for that opportunity this Christmas. Friendships being built because we anticipated so many people responding to the gospel and being baptized. God, would you build friendships in this house that will change the world? Because you are worthy of our friendships going as far as we can no matter the cost. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.